Well, good evening. Merry Christmas to you. So good to be with you tonight. Uh, I tell you, it's a very hard assignment to follow those kids on stage. They were adorable. <laughs> what a joy to have all these kids up on stage, listen to that story, and uh, what a joy it is to be with you tonight. My name is Adrian, and I'm one of the pastors here at Carney E. Free. If you're a newcomer here tonight, if this is your first time at Carney E. Free, or if you've been a church member here for decades, we wish you and your family a Merry Christmas. So grateful that you chose to join us for worship tonight, and pray you can have an experience of Christ's love and Christ's peace and the hope that he brings to you, and I hope to your family as well, tonight and, uh, and tomorrow. You may not have uh, quite heard it in that story, that little narrative reading that we just listened to uh, as we were watching these beautiful kids leave the stage. It's hard to listen to that. But that little narrative was about a man named Simeon. And Simeon is kind of a small player in the birth story of Jesus, and we're going to look at him a little bit here this evening as we celebrate our Christmas Eve service. And one of the things that you probably heard if you did hear any of that story or if you know Simeon's story is that he was waiting and waiting and longing for that first Christmas. That's kind of true for Christmas, isn't it? It is so full of anticipation and waiting and excitement and when is it going to get here? Like every kid in the room, I bet you can't wait for me to stop talking so you can go home. <laughs> every kid is waiting for that special something under the Christmas tree, whether it be a toy or a video game or a board game of something, the kids are waiting. And maybe the adults are waiting for something special under the Christmas tree too, I, I don't know. Uh, but we're, we're all waiting for something come Christmas time. For some of us, it's, it's waiting for a special family tradition that we do each year, and we're just really looking forward to that. For others of us, it's the joy of a Christmas meal as the family gathers together around the table today or tomorrow or on Monday, well, whenever you do it, and you're just so looking forward to the family being together. For others, it's just like looking forward to dessert. After Christmas, I want the dessert. And then maybe some second dessert too. And a little bit more after that. We're all kind of waiting. We're waiting for it to get above zero degrees at some point. We're waiting for certain family members to come into town or someone that we're going to go see that we haven't been with for, for months or even years. And some of us, in the midst of that waiting, we're also a little bit worried. We're a little bit nervous, like what is going to happen as we see this family member with whom I've had tension in the past, and we're waiting and we're praying, hoping that it goes well. You know, in the first years, the calendar shifted from B.C. to A.D., they would have had some of those exact same emotions that I just listed out. Obviously, commerce and technology and traditions and culture changes a lot across 2,000 years, but I am convinced the older that I get, the basic longings of the human heart really have not changed from one generation to another generation. We're all kind of longing and waiting for the same kinds of things. 
that we long for our families, that we long for individually with respect to joy and peace and hope in a very dark world. You think of Mary and some of the things that she was waiting for, like when can we finally get to Bethlehem that I could get off this donkey and get on with the business of being a mother? And Joseph, we're going to pick up the story here a few weeks after the birth of Jesus, and Joseph's probably waiting and longing, like when do I get to be of some use to my newborn son as a new father? I'm not good for much right now. When do I get to be a part of this? Likewise, though, there were these leaders in Israel at the time of Jesus' birth. They were called Pharisees, and there was lawyers and scribes and kind of the religious and political elite, and they were waiting at the time of Jesus as well. What they were waiting for is something a little bit different. They were waiting for a Messiah that God had promised to send, and the thought they had in mind was that God was going to send a Messiah who would be a a political revolutionary of sorts that would break the back of the Roman oppressors and give liberation to the Jewish people. That's what they were waiting for. Now, there are many other ordinary Jews at the time that understood what the Hebrew Scriptures had said, that God was going to send someone who would be what we just sang, a wonderful counselor, one like an everlasting father, a prince of peace. And they were waiting for that prince of peace. And then finally, we have this man, Simeon, who, again, I want to introduce you to for just a moment. He's a minor character in the birth story of Jesus but he's a righteous and he's a devout, upright man. And he's waiting not so much for like a political liberation for Israel, he's, he's waiting for, for peace from God. He's waiting for an experience of God's love, which I would anticipate some of us are waiting for tonight as well. So we pick up a story this evening in Luke chapter two, starting at verse 22. You can follow along up on the screen as I go. But again, it's 40 days after the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, and Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, are bringing him to the temple in Jerusalem. Verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took Jesus into his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Now, the Old Testament law, the Hebrew scriptures, required that a young couple, 
a Hebrew couple on the birth of their newborn son would make a voyage down to the temple in Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God that God had given them this gift of a newborn son and they would make a small sacrifice to God to say thank you God for your great provision. And so that's precisely what Mary and Joseph are doing here. The customary practice of the day was upon your firstborn son you would go to the temple and you would give a lamb as a thanksgiving to God who had given you this son. But the Bible always gives provision for those who are less well-off financially, which was true of Mary and Joseph. So they don't have a lamb by their side. They have two pigeons, or perhaps two turtle doves. And the law said if that's all they could afford, that's what they could bring. And so as they approach the temple, you have to imagine this scene here, this old, grayed, wrinkled, and hunchback man named Simeon approaches them out of nowhere. And he comes to them and he touches their child. You you gotta imagine what Mary and Joseph are thinking about in this moment. Like, Simeon comes near, apparently he's been nudged by the Holy Spirit of God Maybe you've had experience of like God leading you to go encourage someone or leading you to go give a whisper to someone that the minister to someone else's soul. Apparently, that's what Simeon has had. And so he goes to this new young family and he grasps the baby and lifts it toward heaven. And he says, oh, I've now seen the savior of the world. I can depart in peace. Imagine what Mary and Joseph are thinking at this moment. It's like, you better ask somebody. Grabbing this newborn baby. I mean, maybe Joseph like looks over to his hip and sees that his knife is there. He grabs his knife and says, am, am I going to have to do battle well with this guy? But again, Simeon holds the baby in his hands. He lifts the baby to, to heaven and he says, my eyes have now seen your salvation. Salvation for all the nations, the light of God's glory to the Gentiles, and the glory for God's people, Israel. All of that in this little package. Man, you do something like that today, yeah, you're getting sued, right? But this is what Simeon does. His joy is just uncontainable because he saw this newborn baby who he's been led to believe is the savior of the world. Perhaps he saw that star over Bethlehem some 40 days ago. And after seeing that star and hearing about this miraculous birth story, he goes to the temple and he waits for these 40 long days to see the baby who would be the savior of the world. And when he does, God, your servant can now depart in peace. Friends, isn't it true that people the world over are waiting for peace? Like, more than anything that we're looking for under the Christmas tree, what we long for the most is peace horizontally, peace with God, and a sense of inner peace in ourselves. We long for an experience of God's forgiveness, a knowledge of God's love, a belief that God is for us, that could afford us inner peace. And this is precisely what Christmas is really all about. 
Like in the two chapters of the historian Luke's narrative about the birth story of Jesus, no less than three times you see this promise that God is going to send one who would bring peace to all those who would trust in him. It's like a main theme to to the Christmas story. Prior to the birth of Jesus, for example, in Luke chapter one, verse 79, it says this, he will shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. The Jesus would come and he would guide our feet into the path of peace. Or think about the most famous verse in the Christmas story. It's Luke 2.14 where the angels encounter the newborn Jesus and upon his birth, what do they sing together? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men and women on whom his favor rests. There it is again. And then days after the birth of Jesus, Simeon encounters him and he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. It it turns out that uh, peace is not so much like a whisper from the manger. It's more of a megaphone shout from the manger. It's the center of the story that God is desiring for us to be at peace with him and to be at peace well within ourselves. And yet the simple truth is what I find on a day-to-day basis is that most people find peace to be incredibly elusive. How about you? We talk about it at Christmas, but we find it incredibly elusive and difficult to grasp. Why is that? I think perhaps it's because we look to people and to possessions and to status and all kinds of other things to fill a void in our hearts that they were never meant to be able to fill. I love the way St. Augustine put it, one of the early church fathers way back in the third century, he said it this way, God has made us for himself and yet our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. Here's what that means. Like, we can look for everything under the sun to fill our hearts with a sense of peace, but we will always be restless until our hearts are filled with the peace that God himself provides through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we look to him here this Christmas, well, once again, for our peace. Now, I get that death is kind of a strange subject for Christmas Eve. It's pretty low holiday entertainment value. But Simeon teaches us something that's so vital here that I hope you can hold on to from this passage. He knows that he can face death because he's encountered the one who ultimately will overcome death. He knows that he can face death because he's encountered Christ who would ultimately, on the cross and through the empty tomb, overcome the power of death. And so one of the central themes of Christmas in our mind should be this, peace with God brings peace in death. My friends, I believe this with all my heart. Peace with God actually brings us peace when we come to the end of our days, whenever they may be. Peace with God brings us peace in death. There's just a sweet assurance that I've seen in old saints again and again in knowing that when their time comes, we can be at ease because we know the Prince of Peace. I I just pray for you that in the midst 
of all the presents and the warm holiday drinks and all the shebang that is Christmas, your heart could be settled a bit at some point tonight or tomorrow to remember that Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. And as he came to be the Savior of the world, that includes you by name, to bring you peace with God, which ultimately affords us peace in the face of any trial or even peace at the prospect of our own death. And at least in my experience, well, what I've personally noticed, both for me and for many, many other people though that I've worked with over the years, is to the extent that I know Jesus' peace personally, to the extent that I'm filled with that, to the extent that I'm right with God, to that extent I'm able to extend peace horizontally. How about you? It's as we're filled with God's peace that we are those who are able to give it to other people as well. And this is what's offered to us also at this beautiful Christmas season. I don't know about you, but I find that our society is anything but tranquil these days. And so we gotta understand that these words though, that were given in the first century were applicable back then, but they're no less applicable here to us in the 21st century. And back in the first century, Jews and Greeks and Romans, they lived like this. There was as much peace between them as there is between Democrats and Republicans in Congress in the 21st century. It was basically non-existent. And yet, Simeon says this, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, of every tribe, of every tongue, of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. The word Gentile means ethnicities, a light for revelation to the various ethnicities of the earth and the glory of your people Israel as well. Oh, this makes me dream on this Christmas Eve that if our God is able to reconcile Jew and Greek across all of their worldview differences, across their political differences, across their ethnic differences, and bring them together through Jesus Christ, if God is able to bring sinful me into a relationship with holy God, if God is able to give us peace even at the prospect of death or illness or whatever else we may face, would it not be possible for this God to assure peace between us and family members with whom we have tension even tonight? Would that be possible? Friends, he came for peace. He came to make us into peacemakers. Several years ago, I was listening to a local radio call-in show. And a man called this local radio show and asked this local radio host, I'm not sure if he didn't have a counselor or a pastor or what, but he calls the radio show and he says, all right, here, here's my situation. My brother and I haven't been talking for years. And I'm very angry at him, he's angry at me. He did me wrong years ago and I did him wrong in return. And so we haven't talked now for years, and the craziest thing happened last week. His wife called and invited me over for Christmas dinner. And so he stops, and he asks the radio show host, what should I do? And the radio show host, well, without missing a beat, he pauses, and he says these simple words. Have you considered saying to your brother, 
I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, I couldn't do that. That'd be too difficult. It is difficult. But you know, the Holy Spirit, whom God gives to us when we trust in Christ, gives us courage. What it mostly is, is courage. To say these two words, I'm sorry. And then courage to say the three words that follow it. I forgive you. And I just happen to believe today that Jesus Christ came to this world first and foremost to grant us peace with God vertically. And as we have peace with God vertically, he intends for us to be peacemakers horizontally. And he inaugurated all of that at his birth in a manger. But he didn't stay a baby. He became a man who lived a perfect life and then died a vicarious death for our imperfections to cover over our sins and failures and bring us to God. And yet though he died, the grave couldn't hold him. He was resurrected again on the third day and still he lives today. And those of us who trust in him, we now have the Holy Spirit with us who would give us the courage to do which seems too difficult for us to do. You gotta come back on Easter to hear the rest of the story. (laughs) And I hope many more times before then as well. But friends, Jesus has come and the Prince of Peace is still here. And it might culminate on Easter, but it begins tonight as we encounter afresh the glory of God, the babe in a manger who has come for the salvation of the world. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have come in fulfillment of all the prophecies of old. All these promises that the virgin would be with child and his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And you are indeed with us even tonight. How we thank you for that, Lord Jesus. And we thank you as the scriptures tell us that you would come as a mighty God, as a wonderful counselor, as one like an everlasting father who we could always count on, as a prince of peace. And so, Father, I'm asking that you would bring peace to weary souls tonight. Many of us are weary by the burdens of life. Many of us are weary by illnesses or perhaps even facing the reality of death. Some of us tonight are weary because we have broken relationships that we wish were right. And Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you have something to say about all of that. And so, Father, we just release ourselves to you right now. And we ask that you would have your way in us. We ask that you would have your way in our families. We pray that tonight and tomorrow we would experience a bit more of your peace. All of this we pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And God's people say, Amen.